Welcome to Mythologies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. And Lizzie, how are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm glad it's like fall is beginning. I've been so sick of the hot weather, so that's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is it it cool now? It's like beginning to be not hot. I would not say that it's like cool, but it's not as bad, which is fun. That's good. Yeah, it's very cool here today, which is nice. It feels very fallish, and that's exciting. And how are you? Um, I'm I'm good. I'm going back to school tomorrow, so that's exciting. I am not looking forward to the move. Um, I think it's become pretty clear to everyone here now that I hate packing and I hate moving, <laughs> but it is a necessity that I unfortunately have to live with at this point in no, my yeah, life. Yeah, it sucks. It's really so, annoying. Yeah. I hate it, but it is what it is. I am doing it. I'm going back to school and I'm going to be learning things again. So that'll be exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. Before we begin, I just wanted to remind everyone that we have a Kofi that you should support. And if you give us a one-time or recurring donation, you can access our bonus episodes there. We have two old bonus episodes, and we have a third one that's coming out alongside this episode. And I'm very excited about it because we're talking about Stregonona, everyone's favorite um, Italian pasta pot (laughs) wielding picture book grandmother, which... Um, so I'm really excited about that. And We're going into Stregonona um, lore. It's going to be really awesome. Really we're going fun. into the Stregonona lore. We're going into the folklore that inspired Stregonona. Um, and a few of her sequels. It's going to be really awesome. Yeah. We're going deep in there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So that'll be really awesome. And so if you give us a one-time or recurring donation on Kofi, you can access that episode. Also, this is new. We are now available on Spotify. We were available on Spotify, but our episodes are now available on Spotify for a subscription. So if you subscribe to Mytholadies on Spotify for $4.99 a month, you can also access our bonus episodes there. So feel free to do that if you would so desire. You can also still access our bonus episodes on Kofi. You don't have to switch over to Spotify, but if you would like to listen to it on a podcasting platform, that is available to you as well. So feel free to check that out. You have options. You've got options. Yeah. Okay. So Lizzie, Lizzie, what is the subject of our special fall themed episode? So like as per usual in September and October, we tend to do kind of spooky Halloween kind of related themes. And today, for our Halloween season-themed episode, we're talking about witches. Ooh. Yeah, so I do think it's important to state that some of the heavy hitters will not be here. We're not talking about Baba Yaga. We're not talking about Medea. We're not talking about Circe. We love them very much. But they look at their own They're, episodes. They deserve their own and episodes. This is for lesser known. We will be talking about them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, please continue, Lizzie. So the origins of the word witch in English are disputed. 
It came to modern English through Old English witcha, male witch, warlock, and witche, which means female witch. So originally it wasn't really gendered so much. It started being spelled as we know it with a T in the middle in the 16th century. And also by that time, it was already mm. far more commonly applied to women. So much so that you would write terms like men witch and he witch. Interesting. And so our modern Western idea of a witch is influenced a lot by Christian ideals and very old associations between mm -hmm. witchcraft and devil worship, as we know. And we're not really here to talk about the history of witch hunts and witch trials, etc., because that would be a whole other mm. topic. A very but interesting topic. Just the way that but, witches are perceived. Yeah, yeah but it's uh, we are talking about folktales and legends and the way witches are depicted in them. So the definition that we're kind of working with is witches are women, often old women, who have magical powers and usually use those powers for evil. And there's a very vast body of mm -hmm. witch stories across the world that vary a lot by region. And we're not trying to give an all, like a broad, all-encompassing definition that would be applicable everywhere. So this is kind of what we're working with today. And also, while I was writing my notes for today's episode, I was thinking about how, like, what's the difference really between witches and fairies? You know, because they are very similar. Mm. Like, they are both magical women who range from mischievous to villainous, and they can vary a lot in mm. form and can sometimes shapeshift. And so yeah, I was thinking yeah. about that. Cause, That's interesting. Because they are really, really similar. So, like, how do you separate them? What I have come back with is... Um, witches are meant to be kind of human adjacent and practice witchcraft, whereas fairies are like mythical and magic is part of their nature. That's debatable, I feel like. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah. Yeah. And also fairies tend to be nature spirits, whereas witches aren't as associated with nature, which once again is debatable of a point. What do you think? Mm hmm. Yeah, well, I would say, I mean, it really depends, of course, on what uh, mythology and culture you're looking at. Yeah. I know that, for example, if we're looking at, like, Celtic mythology, uh, fairies are more associated with, like, gods. Yeah. And, like, more divine supernatural spirits, whereas I think witches are more, like, human spirits. So there's that difference there. But that's a pretty, I think that's more exclusive to Celtic mythology than, like, yeah. Other mythology. I don't know if that necessarily applies to every single mythology that has stories of fairies. Yeah, fairies tends fairies tend to be European, whereas witches can really be anywhere. Mm -hmm. But like once again, all this is literally debatable, so it like begs the question. Just something I was thinking about. But also like there's a lot of overlap. Like some of the women that we're talking about could be really classified as fairies or yeah, witches. Yeah, for sure. Like certain like I think all three of the women mm -hmm. I have today could be classified as fairies and witches. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have a woman who could be classified as a witch. I'm sorry, a fairy or a witch. So, yeah. But uh, that was a fun episode we did earlier, Celtic fairies, if you want to give it a listen. Yeah. But yeah. Mm -hmm. As we will come to see during the episode, it's hard to separate conceptions of witches from their Christian influence. Witches often represent wildness and a fear of the unknown that's in direct opposition to Christian ideals, and they also often have pagan associations, which once again stand opposed to Christianity. Which brings me to my next topic. Um, it's uh, kind of an unpleasant one, but we need to talk about it, and that is anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. So, one thing we want to talk about when we talk about witches and folklore is the fact that the Western conception of the witch is heavily influenced by anti-Semitic stereotypes. 
So before we talk about today's ladies, we want to give a little primer on anti-Semitism as it relates to the witch archetype. So mm-hmm. common characteristics of witches in our Western conception include women with big noses, often like hooked, and a pointed hat, mm-hmm. and who often eat children. So the stereotype mm-hmm. of the Jewish nose has been used in anti-Semitic propaganda, including Nazi propaganda, since like about the mid-13th century, at least. And anti-Semites wrote about how to identify a Jewish nose, who said to be hooked, prominent, and arched, even though mm-hmm. you know, it's not like logical, like Gentiles can also have noses like no. that. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. stereotype and it was also a very mm-hmm. frequent feature in anti-semitic cartoons and literature as well as folk tales mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people don't know just how frequently blatant anti-semitism actually does appear in folk tales and fairy tales for example the grim brothers mm-hmm. had a story called the jew among thorns which i would imagine exists oh to gosh. ridicule jewish people and was also literally mm-hmm. used by Nazis to incite anti-Semitic feelings of course. among the German people. And there were also mm-hmm. many other folktales that existed to directly mock Jews. And I'm talking the past tense, but honestly, mm-hmm. it's all still literally used now. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of these stereotypes you can still see today. You can there are people who um, have experiences and like dealing with these same stereotypes and and these caricatures are still used today Literally half the conspiracy um, like theories in the u.s are literally just anti-semitic i would say more than half to be honest like yeah, but yeah <laughs> i mean like QAnon literally comes from the idea of like there being a secret group of people that are like um eating children or like harvesting like blood or energy from children which is a big thing like QAnon like, is literally a coven of witches that are eating children yeah. like yeah it's this sort of the same it's basically the same oh, idea, yeah exactly so. and like it <laughs> it's still very present today yeah and these like centuries of anti-semitic folktales and propaganda are still like they have set the scene for stuff like QAnon etc like it's still alive yeah we can also talk about like mother gothel in tangled oh, yeah, exactly. who many people have pointed out is uh pretty much a stereotype of a Jewish woman um, as the evil witch who's sucking, using, like, her daughter's hair to, like, restore her youth or whatever. It's, like, a whole, no, yeah, it's exactly, a very similar exactly. idea. And another yeah. thing is that mm-hmm. the pointed hats we're kind of familiar with are frequently, to, like, mm-hmm. like a, some scholars think that that came about from anti-Semitic stereotypes as well. Mm-hmm. The 1215 Fourth Council of the Lateran required all Jewish people to identify themselves by wearing the Judenhaupt, Jewish hat, Mm -hmm. and associations between Jews and Satan were obviously prevalent in medieval times, and then the hat became Mm -hmm. associated with Satanism and witchcraft, etc. And evidently the Mm modern-day witch with a pointed hat came about because of the Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard of Oz, which popularized Mm -hmm. the iconography in, like, the present day. And... Yeah, which has a lot of like she has a lot of like anti-semitic aspects in her own exactly like, her her character design, and design her yeah n- nose her nose her green skin yeah and it's interesting how much the book of witch of the west has like influenced witch features like today yeah like, even, pop culture like when you dress yeah. up as like witch for halloween it's like you dress up like in the wicked witch of the west yeah, yeah, that's like the stereotypical, you know, the spirit Halloween, like, witch costume that you find is, like, something like that. Yeah, and most importantly, and, yeah. 
a lot of folktales involve witches killing and eating children, which is an example of blood libel. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, blood libel is basically le- a legend that has been used against Jews for centuries. It essentially says that Jews like to murder Christian children and use their blood for ritual purposes or just like, eat them. And when a Christian child went missing, Jewish people would be blamed, basically. And like, mm-hmm. so when you see like witches eating children, like that's a red flag, honestly. Yeah. And yeah, and we sort of mentioned it, um, I think, in our vampire episode, but it's similar for vampires too. Like mm-hmm. the idea that um, a mysterious, like because of Bram Stoker, um, Eastern European. Um, is sucking the life force out of ethnic features. Yeah, out of the um, innocent British woman or child. Um, exactly. Is also based on exactly anti-Semitic yeah. folklore, blood libel. Yeah, vampires are exactly. really libel. big blood, libel. blood libel. Yeah, and an example of yeah. blood libel in a witch legend is in Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, so the witch is that another is that another Grimm brothers? I actually, don't know. It might be. I mean, it's German, so probably probably is to be honest and so the witch in that story lured children in order to kill and eat them and there are like mm-hmm. many stories about like that about witches where they would like put children in an oven or like boil mm-hmm. them in a big pot you know yeah. mm-hmm. extremely common yeah and like you mm-hmm. mentioned mother gothel is another example and that's like very recent mm-hmm. which shows you like how prevalent this sort of mm-hmm. thing is like she kid- she kidnaps yeah. you know the little blonde child and she uh-huh. uses her to remain youthful, which is like an example of yeah using a child in like a weird ritual that's like a blood libel thing yeah and like you also mm-hmm. mentioned she has stereotypically Jewish features as well and honestly a mm-hmm. lot of Disney villains have typically Jewish features also a lot of Barbie villains yeah exactly um, yeah talk about and that Swan Lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Exactly. But yeah. Well, that's enough. Topic for another time, but like... <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> that's a topic for another time. But yeah. Uh, and so I think that we mm-hmm. should be should should be aware of this. I feel like not everyone actually even knows mm-hmm. a bunch of what we just talked yeah. about. And they should. And as like, we want to call us like folklorists, but folklore, you know, podcasters yeah. we should like yeah discuss these things mm-hmm. we talk about the legends that are blatantly anti-semitic and um yeah not mm-hmm. all witches are anti-semitic characters obviously but like mm-hmm. it's something to be aware of yeah and as i was going through my research i found i mean like a few of the legends i researched i definitely feel anti-semitic in origin there was one um that i found which was uh the guajuna which is of the cantabrian people of um northern spain or the autonomous community of Cantabria, which is found in northern Spain. And they're basically just completely an anti-Semitic um, caricature. Um, they're described literally as having an aquiline nose, which is yeah. a sort of hooked nose. Um, and basically they um, suck blood from children. Um, oh and You know, it sounds like bullying. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, Spain has obviously it's, been a site yeah. of a lot of horrible anti-Semitism. So. A lot of ants, like really intense anti-Semitic like of course a lot of Europe has been but Spain had the Spanish Inquisition yeah it was so, a whole thing um yeah I found like this book that was about an it was from like 2016 that was about um an, by a s- author with a Spanish name who's it was like about an inquisitor whose job was to kill like Wajona um, um from this in this city and I was like what the heck yeah it, it's just um so 
Yeah, that one, I was like, that is just straight up an anti-Semitic stereotype. And so when you're talking about witches in folklore and when you're thinking about dressing up as a witch for Halloween, I think you can still like, you know, have some fun like costumes. But like when you don't like when you see the costumes with like a hooked nose and like the long, like scraggly black hair and like the green skin, like and the hat, like just just stay away like don't do that i feel like a lot of anti-semites are very aware of these things and like spouting them but a lot of also other just people who don't know these things accidentally mm-hmm. sort of reproduce them because they just don't know yeah because like again that image of a witch is so ingrained in our culture that it's just like oh that's a witch and you don't even realize it until someone like is like hey da 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 history and you're like oh my gosh yeah. and then like yeah so yeah, when you're choosing your Halloween costume this year, be aware. Don't don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> be aware and don't do that. Yeah. Um, and if uh, you're like writing yeah. something with a witch in it, also be aware. Yeah. Be very aware. Yeah, or a vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that being said, who was our first lady, Zoe? Yeah. So our first lady, uh, Black Annis, definitely has some anti-Semitic aspects to her. I would say. Um, she is from English folklore, um, particularly the folklore of Leicester, which is in central England. Um, she's sort of a boogie woman figure, and she's said to have a blue face and long iron claws. Um, she lives in a cave, and she comes out of the cave at night and generally will attack poor unsuspecting children and carry them back into her lair where she will suck their blood and eat their flesh. Wow. So. Classic. Yeah. She will also kill livestock. And, you know, she's sort of like the you better behave or Black Annis will come and get you sort of thing. You know, that sort of character. There are like some speculations for a specific person. That was the origin of this story. The first one is a woman named Agnes Scott, who was a Dominican nun who supposedly lived in a cave in a forest and ran a leper colony there, which doesn't sound like someone you would make like a really horrible spooky woman no, out of but so i don't know um then another another woman who could potentially be the inspiration for this figure is a woman in legend who supposedly predicted king richard iii's death at the battle of bosworth field which is near leicester um and she said that on his return his head would strike a stone on leicester's bow bridge and he did die, and when his horse was carrying him back, apparently his head, like, struck the stone. Um, hey, and she was correct, so... I mean, it's not, like, that much of a long shot So that's a that fun little story. Someone will die in battle, but, like... The specifics, the specifics of the stone is interesting. Yeah, but it is the king, and... Okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, and, like, also the king dying. That's kind of... You, you generally don't do that, I think, at the time, but... Yeah, she's probably accused of course, of this is this is like you know rightful king and all that stuff. Anyways, so she predicted that, and legend has it she was correct. And um, also, there's legend that she was because she was like at this tavern that was like with a sign that was a boar, like you know a a pig yeah. with tusks, yeah, you know, and. <laughs> um apparently like when he came back like the the sign had turned like blue which is sort of like her face being blue which is interesting um interesting yeah and other scholars have linked her to mythological figures such as hell from norse mythology and kaliak bera who is uh we talked about in our crones episode i believe yeah. yes yes 
Um, they're both kind of frightening old women who are often depicted with blue faces. And sometimes Black Annas is depicted with a sort of like split face, like hell. Hell is half corpse and half skeleton, I believe. Interesting. And so there's belief that that could also be one of her origins. Some scholars argue that uh, her association with the night and that she can only come out at night. Legend says that if she comes out during the day, she'll be turned to stone, which is Ooh. a whole thing. Okay. Links her to winter. And if she has a winter form, she may also have a younger, more beautiful summer form. And there are stories that Belle, B-E-L, the summer king, is her lover so maybe she has a sort of younger summer form, and the concept of her having a dual winter summer form has led other scholars to link her with Brigid from Irish mythology. Yeah, because Brigid's like the which spring is version of Coyacbera sometimes. Yeah, so it's possible that she has like sort of more old origins than just um, this creepy woman lived in the woods once and we were kind of like weirded out by her. So that's always interesting. Is she like a very common legend in Leicester? In Leicester, yes. I think it's pretty limited to the region of Leicester or Leicestershire, maybe. But it's very common within like the area. Nice. You yeah, know, yeah. Fair. As like yeah. a figure in a story. But yeah, so there was, like I said, obviously there's anti-Semitic, possible anti-Semitic roots here as well. There's the child eating, the blue face, the, the blood sucking, you know. I think it's also possible that she could sort of be representative of winter and the way that she yeah, um, yeah, winter turns takes children blue. can be a fear that children will die during the winter, which is was very common, especially during like the time when stories and fear of her were really common in yeah. England. I mean, I think both could very much be true. It doesn't help. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, for exactly. sure. And some other people think that the stories of children being eaten by her could represent a ritual of sacrifice to an earth goddess figure um, because she is linked through earth goddesses. That does not sound real to me. Yeah, I don't know. Scholars say a lot of things. Just because a scholar says something doesn't mean that it's true or accurate. Ritual sacrifice um, in but... like Britain. If it ever happened, it was not at all recently, right? I mean, I think there was definitely ritual sacrifice. I mean, first of all, like we can talk about I mean, they're pre-Christian um, Britain for sure. But like there's, they link her to earth gods through her residence in a cave in the ground. And it's like they sacrifice children to a cave in the ground in like pre-Christian society. I don't know. As we sort of talked about before, when it comes to like sort of Christianization and conversion of areas, Christians love to take especially female figures that were worshipped by people and make them into these like evil people. Definitely. And also kind of erase the original history. So you have to just kind of guess at what it used to be before Christianization. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know the evidence for like any of these stories. It's all really theory. That's just sort of like the fun-ish part, I guess, is to just be like, well, what if it's linked to this? Who's to yeah. say? But yeah. I like her name because it sounds like a spider. Yeah, that is true. She's also, of course, known as Black Agnes or Black Anna, oh. which is fun. Yeah. And yeah, she crawls a lot too because she has iron claws. So that is fun and scary. That also sounds spidery. Yeah. And that's pretty much all I got on her. Nice. So my next lady is Muma Paduri, who is a witch from Romanian folklore. And a shout out to my friend Mariana, who I did not find like very many sources in English. And her native language is Romanian, Mm -hmm. so she helped me. Nice. 
Yeah, so her name means cool. mother of... I love having friends who speak different languages. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. Comes in handy during the yeah. movies. Anyway. It really does. So her name means mother of the forest, and she's typically an ugly old woman who lives in the darkest parts of the forest. And less commonly, she can be also be <laughs> a young, beautiful woman who behaves like a good fairy to unborn children when they wander off into the woods, hmm. but who misleads adults about her spiteful intentions, lures them into her snares, then gnaws names and even kills them. I'm sorry, but I mean, unborn children who wander off into the woods? Did I write unborn children? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Does it just mean <laughs> like young children? I mean, I probably, to be honest, like I probably kids. wrote it as I saw it, but now that you said that, it doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Less commonly, she can also be a young, beautiful woman who behaves the good fairy to children when they wander off into the woods, but who misleads adults about her spiteful intentions, lures them into her snares, and then gnaws names and even kills them. Wow, okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. Because she's good to the children, but not the adults. I guess so. Which, like, fair enough. Nice to children. Yeah. She's like, I'll help you if you're a kid, but if you're old, you're on your own. You should have known better than to get lost in the woods. (laughs) And she can also be sort of a forest demigod who takes the form of an old woman and kills people who live on the edge of the forest and enters their home via open doors and windows and stab them. Ooh, that's scary. It is, yeah. That is scary. Like living on the edge of the forest is already kind of scary because there's creatures in the forest. Definitely. A lot of darkness. Uh huh. It's it's cool that she's like a forest protectress and she cures the forest if it's dying and keeps trespassers away. And she can act as a benefactor of the forest, punishing robbers, showing the right path to lost children, and helping troubled people. That's really awesome. She sounds awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Evidently, she also punishes people who pick fruits in the forest on August 19th. Oh. Though. Only on August 19th. Yeah. And, like, it didn't really say why August 19th. Um, my okay. guess is because that is a Christian feast day. Uh-huh. I guess, and I could yeah. not find evidence of it being, like, a Romanian holiday or anything, so. Wow. Probably that's why. Interesting. All right. Noted not to pick fruits on that day. Only if you're in Romania. If I'm in a Romanian forest. Exactly. And the trees of the forest are like her children, and she calls all of them by name or nickname, and sometimes if they upset her, she curses them to be cut down by man or struck by lightning. Wow. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm a huge fan of this lady. Right? I've never... I don't think we've ever covered a woman on this show that's made me be like, wow, she's like the Lorax. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so either. But I just think that, you know, she has power over the whole forest. She's the one who oversees it all. That's really cool. Isn't that cool? And, um, yeah, she speaks for the trees. I think that's very fun. For the Lorax she, reference. She does speak for the trees. <laughs> yeah, a little Lorax reference for all you Lorax stands <laughs> out there. And in this view, she's much more neutral and only harms those who harm the forest. But sometimes she's also purely evil. She's associated in some Romanian folktales with killing people and luring children, like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. And she's described as ugly, Mm -hmm. with long, unkempt hair, and a hunched back or a limp, and teeth like millstones or wool. One has to wonder that consists of. And sometimes she has children fathered by the devil, but these children are very bad and upset her. 
So she steals the sleep mm. of human children and gives it to her own children so that they will sleep and not bother her. Wow. That's some deep lore. Right? And I think it's interesting that probably if you're like a child in the, near the forest and you can't sleep, it would be like, yeah, Uma Paduri has stolen your yeah, sleep. Yeah, she stole my sleep. It's kind of fun. That's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I like the idea that she just puts her children to sleep so she doesn't have to deal with them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. She Maybe she didn't want children. She needs birth control. Wow. So true. <laughs> so true. That's my hot take of this episode. And naturally, there are also stories of her eating children as well. And mm-hmm. legend has it that she would show up at the cottages of people living near the forest and ask for a comb and butter to make her hair nice and shiny. Ah. And you couldn't say more than beat three words to her. Side note, her hair is supposed to be unkempt. So it's unkempt or is it shiny? Anyway. Well, this sounds like she's not actually using the comb or the butter, so. Fair enough. Um, and you- It's just like a trap. <laughs> and you couldn't say more than three words to her. And if you uttered a fourth word... Uma Paduri would take your voice away. <gasps> yeah. Whoa. And it's also said that any man who manages to bind her gets granted a wish. What does it mean by bind her? I guess, like, physically subdue her with, like, a rope or something. I guess. That's what I assumed it meant. Okay. Don't like that. Don't do that, exactly. men. <laughs> Just get Our stabbed. Romanian it's listeners, don't, don't do that. It's not <laughs> worth it. And another thing I saw is that there's a Romanian organization called Numa Paduri that supports reforestation in Romania, which is cool. It's cool really they cool. named it after her. They're like, yeah, yeah in the forest. That's cool. Yeah. Well, she speaks for the she trees. She does speak for the said, trees. So <laughs> she's basically the Lorax. Yeah. Um, I also feel like she could definitely um, be a pre-Christian goddess that was, you know, sort of yeah. That makes exactly. Uh, she does sound very Christianization mythical. Yeah, because she's incredibly powerful. I mean, she's very. Um, she has so much power over the forests and the trees. She knows all the trees in the forest, which, like, especially before like industrialization, that's a lot of trees. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of trees. These are big forests, and um. Like, that's a lot of power for her to have. So I definitely, I mean, obviously, we, I don't know for sure, but I could definitely see her being, like, a pre-Christian goddess that became yeah, sort I agree. of, I think that would make a more of a threatening figure with the advent of advent of Christianization. Wow. Uh, anyways. <laughs> she does like the remnants of, like, mythological, like, stories about some goddess or something. It's sort of been transformed and Christianized a bit. Which is cool. So that's, so that's her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my next lady is also, I mean, she's also a very interesting figure, in my opinion. And she is Loki, who is a Finnish lady, and she is the main antagonist of the Kalevala, which is, of course, the national epic of Finland. She is a witch, of course, because we're talking about her. Um, she has a lot of magical powers. She can supposedly transform into any shape and cast powerful enchantments in order to achieve what she wants. Or stop her enemies from achieving what she wants. And she also challenges the hero, one of the heroes of the Kalevala, um, Lemminkainen, to a spell contest. And I believe she wins. I couldn't find information on that, but I'm pretty sure she won. Because Lemminkainen is kind of a arrogant guy, so I feel like he would lose. (laughs) But anyway, she's the leader in the land of Bayola, which is one of the two main lands in the Kalevala, alongside Kalevala. 
also known as Vainola, which is the land of the hero of the epic, Vainamainen. Vainamainen, um, yes. Fun name. Awesome name. Yeah. So many umlauts. So many umlauts in Finland. I don't even know if they're called umlauts, actually, but, you know, the two dots. And they're called umlauts in English. I don't know. But anyway, so she is, I think I initially characterized the land of Bayala is the land of the Sami people, um, while Vainola is the land of the Finns. But upon further research, that might not be as true or it's not like quite as clear a dichotomy as originally I thought. Um, more so, it appears that Bayola represents a more metaphorical place than an attempt to describe a real place or geography, although Elias Lonrat, um, the writer of the Kalevala, was trying to sort of give it some geography. It's basically, um, it means the north in Finnish, and it basically represents a place of cold and darkness. And therefore, it makes sense that such a place would be really frightening and sort of a hell concept in Finland, because... It's Finland, it's so far north, cold and darkness is a big problem and something that's present a lot. And so the idea of a place where it's like eternally cold and dark is not great. Kind of sucks. But our girl Lohi is the ruler of this place. Um, She is believed possibly that she's a Finnish, she's a version of the Finnish goddess Loviatar. Who is an underworld goddess who was yes she was impregnated by a great wind and then gave birth to nine sons Mm -hmm. who represent the nine diseases of the world would you like to know what they are yes i do consumption colic gout rickets ulcers scabs cancer plague and the ninth being unnamed but the worst uh so that's fun interesting i like how scabs and cancer are like equal yeah and in some folk songs, Lohi is the mother of the nine diseases. And in other stories, Loviatar is called the whore mistress of Toyola. So they're definitely like equated in some ways. There are some stories where they're like basically the same person um, or the same figure. But often the ruler of Toyola is unnamed in songs, which makes sense because fear of naming, etc., etc. Mm. You know, that's a big thing in Fair, folklore yeah. mythology as well. Yeah. Um, her main function in the uh, Lohi's main function in the Kalevala is to be mother of many beautiful daughters whom the main male characters wish to marry. In order to do so, often they must complete many difficult tasks set by Lohi, and this differentiates her from Loviatar, as Loviatar does not assign quests to heroes. There's no story of her doing that. Um, so that sort of differenti- differentiates her as her own sort of figure in Finnish mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the stories of these challenges is what makes up the majority of the Kalevala. Interestingly, because Poyola is the land of Lohi and her daughters, then it is also the land of women, while Vainola is the land of men. And also, I will say the Kalevala is kind of a sexist text, so it's it's interesting um, that there's sort of that differentiation as well. But anyways... Um, so in one of these challenges, the smith Ilmarinen creates the Sampo, which is the magical abundance machine, which is kind of like a cornucopia. It produces seeds and salts and other items necessary for survival in Finland. And this is sort of like the kind of MacGuffin of the, <laughs> the Kalevala. Oh. In that Lohi wants the Sampo and Poyola where they need it for resources, while the people of Vainola want it for their own use, obviously, and they fight a lot. 
Um, and that's sort of basically after it's created, that sort of creates the rest of the conflict and stories. And there's also a lot of smaller stories, too, and sort of creation stories as well throughout the the epic. It's pretty long. But yeah, so and then she's using her magic to stop the plans of Vainamainen and he's doing his own tricks to get it back and it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, that's basically Lohi. I think, I mean, she's very fun. She is very evil and she's super powerful. And in the end, of course, the Sampo gets destroyed because no one can have the magical produ- producing machine. That would just upset the balance of the world. Fair. And yeah. And then Christianity comes in at the end and <laughs> saves everyone. Of course it uh, does. And that's, and that's the story. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that leads us to our next lady, who is Sybil, who is an enchantress from Arthurian legend, as well as Italian folklore. Really? Yes. And I mean, it, it does make sense. That she would also be a figure in Italian folklore because, well, she has her roots in the ancient Greek slash Roman prophetess, the Cumaean Sibyl. Mm. So, like, fair enough. Oh, Roman, Italian. And the figure of the Cumaean... That does make sense. Yeah. And the figure of the Cumaean Sibyl then evolved into a Christianized character named Sibyl in the early Middle Ages and then into a fae-like creature that we find in Arthurian literature in the late Middle Ages. Mm Mm-hmm. And she is closely associated with Morgan Le Fay to the point that sometimes they're of course, thought, of course, <laughs> to the point that sometimes they're thought to be the same figure. And although at other times they appear in stories together, either as rivals or as friends. Cool, yeah. And um, she appears in several pieces of Arthurian literature, including really well-known ones like. Le Morte d'Arthur and Lancelot Grail prose mm-hmm. cycle. Did you have to read Le Morte d'Arthur in like English class? No, I never had to read it. I read a simplified version of it um, once, just for funsies. I think I, I think but... we did like some of it for English class, not the whole thing. It's very long, I believe. Yeah. No. Yeah, I never read the whole thing. And uh, sometimes she appears benevolent, like in the 12th century German poem Lanzelet, where she ends up marrying Lancelot. Mm. And they have four children and die on the same day. Oh, that's really romantic. So, Isn't it? Sounds like they really liked each other. Yeah, because isn't Lancelot's main... I say it's like I don't already know. Lancelot <laughs> with Guinevere, so that's interesting. Yeah, well, I guess maybe in that one they don't have that problem i don't know creative liberties (laughs) yeah but also at other times she's like a villainous enchantress Mm -hmm. for example in the lancelot grail she appears with morgan le fay and the queen of soreston and they kidnap lancelot together and try to make him choose which one of them he wants oh um and he obviously picks none of them because he's loyal to guinevere which is really funny. So, um, yeah, because <laughs> she's married, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, so she has more negative depictions as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. they kidnap him, they like force him to choose, and then they imprison him when he says "none of you," and then he has to be rescued. So, nice. Yeah, good old damsel in distress, Lancelot. Yeah, <laughs> love him. And additionally, she appears in Italian folklore where she appears as a demonic sorceress. Mm. And there's a mountain in the Apennine mountain range in central Italy called the Monte Sibilla, which is, of course, named after her. Local folklore from the 1400s says that 
Sybil, or Sibylla, lives with an entourage of seductive nymphs in an enchanted realm. One story tells of a knight and his squire who enter her kingdom and get entranced by its forbidden pleasures and end up staying there for like a whole year. Oh. So basically this version of Sybil runs a realm full of carnal pleasures where if people stay there for more than a year, they're trapped there forever. It sounds kind of like uh, the land of the lotus eaters in Greek mythology. Yeah, yeah. And the story of the knight and squire then involves them realizing their sins, escaping, and then confessing to the Pope. Oh, good. Which I think is funny. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad the Pope makes an appearance. Christianity saves the day once again. Yeah, exactly. And then also this particular legend is thought to have inspired the motif in German folklore known as Venusberg, or a mountain of Venus. Do you know it? Venus Berg? Yeah. Venus Mountain? Yeah, Mountain of Venus. Oh, is it like, is it just like a place of like sin and desire, kind of like yeah, basically, yeah, or whatever? Yeah, like it consists of a mortal man being seduced by an enchantress in the other world. So basically, yeah. I have not read that much German literature at all, so <laughs> I'm not familiar. I mean, with I feel like it's one. just common in general. Yeah. To sort of, I mean, definitely an Arthurian type stuff like older and legend and yeah i mean it's just a very common know. like the hero gets tempted by carnal desires and has to show that he's better than that you know sort of thing exactly it kind of reminded me of in monty python and the holy grail galahad i think gets abducted by those women and brought to the castle anthrax and they all try to sleep with him and he escapes um i don't remember that which is surprising because i have seen that movie technically um, but I have no memory of that happening. I do believe it happens. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's it seems like you know a pretty common trope in like heroic quests. It's like exactly, you must re- resist the temptations of the flesh in order to become the true hero. You prove thing. that you're chaste. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And Sybil has also been portrayed in shows and movies and literature since then, as well as the stage musical Camelot. Oh! And apparently she was on an episode of The Winx Club. The new one or the old one? Old, old one? <laughs> and not, I mean, not the Netflix one. <laughs> and she's also been in some video games. Nice. I was actually never a Winx Club kid. I wasn't either. But I, I know a bunch of people were, so that's yeah. in there for... For the Winx Club Winx stands. Club. For the exactly. Lorax stands and the Wings Club stands, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fun when uh, Morgan Le Fay has, like, women to help her out, you know? Right. You know. So I have to see women helping women. Women supporting women in our theory and legend, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my next lady is also has her origins in um, sort of Roman Greek folklore mythology um her name is angitia um she is sort of pre-roman goddess around the oscan umbrian region and her name comes from anguis which means snake or eel which the reason for that will become clear in a bit she's particularly important to a group of people known as the marci who live in the modern day abruzzo region of central italy and they claim descent from her several people in that sort of region so that's Ooh, cool. Instances of central Italy today. Yeah. According to this legend, uh, Angitia was the third daughter of King Iitis of Colchis after Medea. 
And also, according to this legend, Circe, um, which must be like a certain version of the story, um, because other stories have her uh, provenance different. Yeah, there's certain versions where Medea and Circe are related. Well, they, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so she was, in this story, she was the third daughter after Medea and Circe. And like the rest of her family, she was skilled in the magical arts. And like the rest of her family, she was pretty adept at using magical herbs to create cures for diseases and particularly for snake bites, which was her specialty. And she also had power over serpents. So that's why her name means like snake or eel. Um, Some medieval scholars believe that Medea and and Gitia were the same person as Medea was also skilled in the use of medicinal herbs and had some associations with snakes, like the dragon that she um, tamed or calmed in order to help Jason get the golden fleece. And according to this theory, Angitia was named was a name given to Medea after her flight from Colchis with the rest of the Argonauts. But the Marsi story says that Angitia then stopped in Italy, teaching the Marsi people to cure fever and snake bites and mastery over animals like wolves and snakes. And descendants in that region still claim those skills to this day. So awesome for them. Cool. Um, other folklore from the Abruzzo region says that Angitia was a Greek priestess who built a home on the shores of Lake Fucino and taught locals her skills of medicine, snake charming, divination, and snake bite cures. I think it's cool that she both charms snakes and also can cure the snake bites. It makes sense. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, she basically just has power over every aspect of the snake, I suppose. Like, yeah. whether the venom, whether it's inside the snake or inside a person after it was moved from the snake to the person. It was very cool. And there are inscriptions to her at the Luca dei Marsi, which was also known as the Lucas Angitie during the Roman Empire. This is sort of a... um holy complex of like a a temple there's a sacred grove to her so pretty good setup like this is a serious she was like seriously important to these people and her name also appears in inscriptions and artifacts of other people from around this time like the umbrians the polini the vestini and the sabinas and so with the story of angitia we've been seeing some pretty negative depictions of witches and witchcraft um, throughout these, the rest of these ladies, but we see a sort of earlier, different idea of witches um, with less negative connotations and more associations with medicine and healing. Um, it's interesting yeah. to note that the Greek word for sorcery or witchcraft, pharmakia, is also the root word for pharmacy, which is the place where we get medicine to cure or treat ailments, which is a really interesting etymology, in my opinion. Yeah. And the snake is generally associated with evil and the devil and like bad things nowadays. But in ancient Greece, it was often associated with medicine and healing. And we can still see remnants of that to this day with both mythology um, and also the caduceus, which is still a medical symbol to this day from yeah. ancient Greece, which has a staff with two snakes wrapped around it. And so it's interesting because we have an earlier representation of witchcraft um, and sort of using magic to heal people. That's a lot more positive. And this is, you know, a more pre-Christian idea of witchcraft um that was less corrupted by christianity and misogyny probably i mean oh that seems like i'm trying to say that the greeks and romans weren't misogynistic which like they definitely were so but yeah just like a less um negative idea of people who use their abilities to cure people um and help people which is good yeah yeah that's really nice Mm -hmm. um yeah but my next lady and uh the last of the day is Mm -hmm. anor 
from Arthurian legend again. And she's an enchantress from North Wales. And she's lesser known than Sybil and other Arthurian enchantresses because she only appears in a handful of works and wasn't the principal character in any of them. She appears in Mallory's Mordature, where she's a sorceress who falls in love with King Arthur. Oh. And she tries to seduce him, but is mm-hmm. unsuccessful because Arthur is determined to stay true to Guinevere. Ironic. So, <laughs> so she plots to kill him instead. It's <laughs> ironic. As you do. It's interesting that, like, two different plot points of the day were, I won't sleep with you because I'm true to Guinevere, but they're from different people. Yeah. Anyway... She enchants him so that he is forced to ride into the perilous forest every day, where his life is challenged by a series of unscrupulous knights. Interesting. And then the Lady of the Lake learns of this, and she enlists the hero Tristan to help her save him. And they arrive at Arthur's aid when Anor is about to cut Arthur's head off, but they free him. And Arthur cuts off Anora's head. Ah. Uh, and then good. the Lady of the Lake attaches her severed head to her saddle as a symbol of victory. To her what? To her saddle. Huh. Okay. Cool. It's interesting. You don't think of Tristan as like a medieval name. <laughs> True. It's like Tiffany. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I yeah, and also the the beheading of Anora and then placing her head on the saddle is reminiscent of Medusa taking the head of Medusa as a yeah exactly as a trophy yeah which side note I uh, came across some scholarly debate on the exact symbolism behind the Lady of the Lake doing this interesting because in other in other instances in in Mallory and also in Arthurian legend in general carrying the severed head of somebody that you have beheaded is an act of punishment to the bearer like. When Gawain accidentally beheads a woman on his quest, and then he has to bear her head oh. thereafter as penance. Um, so it's possible that the Lady of the Lake doing this could be representative of the fact that Arthur killed a defenseless woman, which is a violation of the Pentecostal oath. Hmm. I mean, she wasn't that defenseless. She was trying and to then kill Then why him. doesn't Arthur have to... Like, why doesn't Arthur have I, to... I guess because the Lady of the Lake, like was kind of an accomplice in mm. this. I don't know. God forbid women do anything these days. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting. Yeah, it is. And she also appears in the Italian Arthurian Roman- romance La Tavola Ritonda, mm. where she is called Elergia. Nope. Where she is called Elergia. Oh, so even closer to allergy. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> the story is very similar, except that Elergia does succeed in seducing Arthur by putting oh. an enchanted ring on him mm. that causes him to forget about Guinevere. Oh. And the Lady of the Lake once again enlists Tristan to come to Arthur's rescue. And he slays Elergia's four brothers. And once again, Arthur beheads Elergia. Something interesting is that Arthur tries to destroy her castle, but it cannot be destroyed because, as Merlin tells him, it's such a sinful place that it will be able to stand until the end of the world. Fascinating. I love the idea that sin is more powerful than good. Yeah, isn't that isn't it supposed to be the opposite? Like, shouldn't shouldn't right. we be saying the <laughs> good <opposite>? should triumph? <laughs> shouldn't good yeah, be triumphing? Triumphing over evil? Yeah. I don't know, man. I didn't so. write it. 
Um, (laughs) But it's interesting. I think the beheading is really interesting that that's like a thing that was happening a lot because, I don't know, it feels like a very, a more like masculine punishment. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a I guess if you're like an evil witch, you lose your... uh... Yeah. Feminine, yeah, feminine charm. charm. I don't know <laughs> your fe- your womanness, your womanness. You lose it. Yeah, like yeah, interesting. I mean, I don't know. It just feels like you know. I mean, I guess it's not. I mean, women have been decapitated throughout history, famously, but I don't know. Like as a in a literature and like as a symbol, it feels I don't know interesting to think about. Yeah, like a masculine symbol. Yeah. Yeah. More of, like, a battlefield thing than, like, a... Yeah, it's also, like, not the most convenient way to kill someone. Cause like, it's very symbolic. Like, you don't behead yeah. someone just casually. Mm-hmm. Well, not usually. No. Unless you're Gawain, I guess. Yeah. And another Italian work, Tristano Ricardiano. Ooh. One thing about me is that I think I'm really good at Italian pronunciation. But I'm probably not. Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> slash Anor isn't mentioned by name, but the story... But the same story still appears, except that Arthur refuses to keep her head as a trophy because she's caused him such shame and instead buries her head. Good for him. Which is also reminiscent of Medusa. Is it? Does she get her head get buried? Yeah, because in some versions, it's, um, it's buried outside of Argos, I think. And oh. it's like protecting the people. Oh, right, right, right. symbol, kind of. Interesting, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, and that's Anora. She doesn't get a lot of backstory, but there's a character in Shrek the Third called Anor. No way! I don't think she has any lines. Maybe she that's... does. She's a character at Worcestershire Academy and has a crush on Artie, aka Arthur. Oh, so this is... So, yeah, so this is, like, because of... So this is a direct legend. reference. It's a direct reference. <laughs> right. Wow. Awesome. Gosh, those Shrek people did their research. I know. Um, that's wild. Rewatch Shrek the Third to spot her. Yeah. I don't know. Shrek the Third is a good movie, in my opinion. I enjoyed that movie. I I think so, too. I think Shrek the Third is a lot of really fun moments. Yeah. I agree. People always say it's bad, and it's like, is it, though? I think the first three Shrek movies are all pretty solid. Yeah. The fourth one is like... Okay, we're getting off topic a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we definitely went downhill with the fourth one, but yeah, anyway. I don't know. And I haven't seen past the fourth one, so I don't know. Yeah, I've only seen the fourth. I've only seen the fourth one. Yeah. He has triplets, and that he. Oh, I forgot about the life. triplet nightmares. That's that's kind of a low moment in the <laughs> franchise. I have to say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but the the princesses like kicking ass. That's that's pretty fun. Exactly. That's really that's pretty fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> if you want more of our Shrek thoughts. <laughs> Maybe we should do a bonus Subscribe episode on Shrek. Actually, like that would be really fun. Honestly, that would be we fun. should do that. We should do that. Anyways, if you want, <laughs> if no one else wants to listen to it, I, a bonus episode on awesome. Shrek. Let us know in the comments. Yeah, Shrek one to three, one to three, or beyond, or beyond. We'll do it if you pay us. Um, and <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. We will do that for you, our loyal fans. <laughs> Um, yeah. Or if nobody wants it, we might still do it. Yeah. Anyway, my sister would listen to it. My sister would also listen to it, probably. That's two people. Um. Anyway, happy Halloween. I hope you enjoyed happy all these witches. Halloween. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on the witches? Not really. I mean, I enjoy them. 
I think witches are fun. And yeah, just, I mean, just, you know, be mindful of witches and witch portrayals. Great. And yeah, thanks so much for listening to your episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to subscribe, leave us a review, tell all your friends, and we'll be back here in two weeks with another wonderful episode. Also, check out our bonus episode on Stregonona because it's going to be so fun. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. May the Ladies Podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks. Bye.